Welcome to Shot and Chop, a show dedicated to helping photographers grow their skills, build their confidence, and be entertained by everything photography. I'm your host, Josh Cannon, and get ready to chop it up. If your camera's in auto mode, stop what you're doing, like right now, stop what you're doing, and switch that thing over to the big M, manual mode. Manual mode is the way to go if you really want to take your photography to the next level. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Shot and Chop. My name is Josh Cannon. I am the owner of Candid Productions, a fully functioning photography, videography, production business. We're going to call it a company because we're going to speak it into existence now that it's 2022. So today's episode is all about helping you to gain a better understanding of how to use and manipulate light. Light is literally the most important thing as a photographer. Without light, we won't have great pictures. Without light, we pretty much won't have pictures in general. So the better you can use your camera to capture light, because that's pretty much all photography is, we're capturing light. We're taking a small piece of time and using the light around us to be able to show it off and express ourselves in a way that supposedly is going to be different from other people and how other people see things. So when you break down light, there are different ways of how you can manipulate and understand it. We can be talking about our camera when it comes to our camera settings. We can be talking about off camera flash. We can be talking about the sunlight itself. Like all of these things are how we are able to manipulate light. So in this episode, what I really wanted to do was break down the basics, like the most simple fundamentals of how to use your camera in what we call full manual mode. Full manual mode is pretty much the setting on your camera that allows you access to all of your settings and you don't have to have the camera doing all of the work. Well, our cameras pretty much do a lot of work for us, but that that's besides the point. In regards to the basics of photography, you have three things that are gonna make up what we call the exposure triangle. Videographers use it too. Pretty much anything that you're recording uh, video or picture, you're going to use this to some extent. So we're going to go into detail about each one of those three components, as well as breaking down situations of how you can adjust them on the fly and get better at being able to do it whenever you need to make changes. Regardless of if you're using off-camera flash, continuous light, natural light, you have to have full control of your camera and understanding of its functions in order to take great pictures. All of the photographers that we look up to, um, you have people like Manny Ortiz, you have Gary Gavanovich. I'm sorry if I butchered his name. Just think about any photographer that you really hold up to a high standard. All of these photographers understand lighting. They understand their camera. They understand their specific brand of camera. They understand their settings. They understand composition. They understand how to communicate with a subject or be able to pretty much bring to life what they see in their head and show it to you in a way that's unique and different. So make sure you pay attention, have something to write with. If you're riding in the car, make sure you play this episode back, save it, do whatever you got to do, because this is what's really going to help you to understand your photography a lot better. One of the biggest things that I see in the creative space um, is when photographers will post their settings on social media. Or when a photographer asks another photographer, hey, what were your settings? Or, hey, what did you do to take this picture? These are the wrong things for you to try to emulate in order to take 
pretty much the same picture as them because you can have the same exact camera settings. You can have the same camera body. You can have the same lenses. You could have a better camera, a better lens than that person that you admire their work. But guess what? The most important thing is not for you to copy their settings to the T, but for you to understand why they use the settings that they did. And I think that's one of the best things that you should be able to have in your back pocket when it comes to walking onto a set or planning out a photo shoot or when you're actually on the photo shoot, being able to bring out what you see in your head. So let me go ahead and explain to you all the difference between shooting in manual mode and shooting in auto mode on your camera. All camera brands and all camera bodies have an, has an auto mode and a manual mode. So when you're shooting in auto, that's pretty much going to be where your camera is going to be making the decisions of what to make your settings to give you the what I call the safe shot. So if you're in a super bright area, your camera is going to bring that brightness down. If you're doing something where the subject is moving around a lot, your camera is going to make the settings to where they're not super blurry. But when you're shooting in manual mode, you have to do all of these things. You have to change your settings. You have to make these adjustments on the fly, even when situations and when lighting is changing or when you need to change these things. So there are three things on your camera that will adjust lighting in both a mechanical sense and a sense of how light is being manipulated. So what do I mean by mechanical? So the three things that are going to allow you to manipulate that is going to be your shutter speed, your aperture, and your ISO. Let's say that one more time. So your shutter speed, your aperture, and your ISO or ISO, however you want to word it. Everybody calls it something different. Some people say it's an abbreviation. Some people say it's not, whatever. As long as you know what it is and what it does, all that extra stuff doesn't matter. So I'm going to break down each one of these so you guys can have a general idea of what it does. Your camera, no matter what type of camera it is, whether it's a DSLR camera, a mirrorless camera, a Hasselblad camera, Sony, Nikon, Fuji, the list goes on and on about all the different types of cameras that we have. They all still have the same functions in some way, shape, or form. Think about your camera like an eye, right? Your eye does a lot of different things. Our eyes look left, our eyes look right. We blink, our pupils get bigger, our pupils get smaller. Our eyes are sensitive when we adjust from being in a dark room to flipping on a light switch. Your camera pretty much in a sense does the same thing, um, combining your lens and combine, combining the actual camera body. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is going to be the shutter speed. If you compare that to that of an eye, your shutter speed is pretty much how fast or slow the shutter is going to close or how long or how short the shutter is going to stay open on your camera. So that's the same thing as if you were to blink. You blink your eyes faster, you see more. You blink your eyes slower, you see less. Or if your eyes are closed all together, you're not going to say anything. Your eyes are closed. So on the back of your camera, on the little screen that you're looking at, you know, your viewfinder, whatever the case may be, you're going to see a number in fraction form. So it'll be like one over 125, one over 60, one over 500, one over 2,500. This number is adjusting the shutter speed. So the higher that bottom number is going to be, the faster your camera is going to shutter or the that you hear whenever you push the button. So just keep that in mind. It's one over whatever of a second. So one blank of a second. So like I said, if I have one over 2,500, 
That's one in two hundred. That's one in two thousand five hundredth of a second in regards to speed. So that means your camera, your camera shutter is going to be opening and closing that fast to let in that little bit amount of light. So if I were to have a pitcher of water and I were to pour that water out for two seconds compared to if I were to pour that pitcher out for 30 seconds, which one do you think is going to spill more water on the floor? Or which one do you think is going to allow more light to spill onto the floor? So we have different uses for having a shorter or a longer shutter speed. It depends on what you're trying to capture on your camera. Like I said, we have a mechanical function and we have a light function. That's the so specifically talking about shutter speed, let's say I want to freeze somebody that's jumping in the air. Like I don't want any type of blur on their hands. I don't want the picture to be blurry. I want it to be nice and sharp and crispy. I'm going to have to have a faster shutter speed. That's going to allow me to capture them at a faster motion in the air, right? So you don't want to use a slower shutter speed or you're going to get a blurry subject. You're probably not going to see anything if they're jumping or throwing up fabric around or if they're running really fast or if a car is, you know, if a car is driving really fast down the street, you're going to need a faster shutter speed to catch these moments. And then one thing that you have to keep in mind, if I wanted to have a faster shutter speed to be able to control how much blur is in a picture, that's also on the same time going to be making my picture either brighter or darker. So if I have a faster shutter speed, that's letting in less light. So therefore, whatever picture I take is going to naturally be darker. If I have a slower shutter speed, that's going to be making my picture more light. So therefore, my pictures are going to be brighter. So that's when we use the other of the three pillars of the exposure triangle to get what we call like a balance. You want to kind of be somewhere in the middle between the three to get good exposure. So moving on to point number two, that's going to be your aperture. Your aperture is like the pupil in your eye. If you were to take a flashlight and to shine it into somebody's eye right now, what's going to happen? Their eye is going to get, the pupil in their eye is going to get smaller. If you were to be walking in a dark room and we had a uh, ultraviolet rays, that's not the word. That's not what it's called. What is it called when you guys can, when you can see in the dark night vision goggles, night vision goggles. If you were to have night vision goggles and you were to look at somebody's pupil, it's probably going to be really big because it's going to be dark in that room. So our pupils need to be bigger to be able to see more in that darker environment. But if we were to go right outside into the bright sun or if somebody were to shine a flashlight into your eye, like I mentioned, your pupil is immediately going to get smaller. It's not going to be big anymore. It's going to be a small dot. So if we look inside the lens of our camera, they have these little blades that together make a circle similar to a pupil. So the smaller that hole is on your lens, guess what? You're letting in less light. The bigger that hole is, you're letting in more light. Now, when we're adjusting our aperture or when we're talking about aperture specifically, that's going to be referred to as your f-stop. So on the back of your camera, just like how we talked about earlier with shutter speed, where you have one over a number, and that's what you see that's going to be adjusting, where the number is going to be changing, getting bigger or smaller. For aperture, it's going to have an F, and it's going to have a number with just a number or a number with a decimal. So let's say F 1.4 or F 5.6 or F 11. These are different aperture points on your camera that are either going to make the lens hole wider or smaller. 
So I hope that makes sense. I hope that um, nobody's lost in what we're talking about. But that's the basic of what you need to know with that. For the aperture, it's kind of weird. I don't know the answer to it. So if anybody else is listening and knows the answer of why this is, when you have your aperture, the smaller the number, the wider the lens is going to be. The bigger the number, the smaller the lens is going to be. So if I'm at f1.4, that's what most professional or high-end lenses go down to. Some go down to 1.2. You even have some lenses that go down to 0.95. Ridiculous numbers. That lens is going to be super wide. So these higher-end lenses, more expensive lenses, uh, that go down to like 1.4, 1.2, you can shoot in a low-light situation and still be able to get pretty good, pretty well-exposed pictures because of how wide that lens is, how much light is actually getting to your camera. Now, if I go down to f11, it's, it's weird to say down to f11, but if I go down to f11, that's going to be letting in way less light. You're going to be looking at a really tiny hole at the end of your camera. So these adjustments that you're making, you can actually see it. So if you take your camera right now and you adjust your aperture or your f-stop and you go to as wide as your camera lens can go, let's say it's 1.8 or 1.4, you'll actually see the lens very, 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 very wide, wide open. But if you drop it to f11, you're going to see that lens hole actually get a lot smaller. So you can see these mechanical things happening on your camera. So let's talk about another way the aperture affects your pictures. Let's say we want a picture to be um, super sharp, super clean, the background, the person, all of that stuff. We want the whole picture to be in focus. You're going to have to have a lower aperture. We're talking like f8 if it's one person. If it's more than one person, like F9, F11, if we're talking landscape, most people that shoot landscape and uh, architecture, they're shooting around F9 to F11, F16 sometimes. Or if you're shooting group photos, you're going to use something around F9, F10, F11, those wider apertures, those wider fields of view. So that's pretty much controlling what we call the depth of field. The simplest way to explain it or for you to think about it is if you take your phone out right now, if you have an iPhone, sorry, Android, but if you have an iPhone and you put your phone in portrait mode, what's going to happen? The background is going to get blurry compared to shooting a regular photo. So that's controlling your depth of field. Your camera and your phone is actually doing it um, in a software compared to an actual photography camera is doing it manually. But the process is still the same. It'll allow, it'll allow you to see it if you do it on your phone or if you do it on your camera. And if you want to get real fancy with your iPhone photography, you can actually swipe down from the top where you're going to see the F and it's going to have the number. And that's going to actually allow you to adjust your aperture on your phone. So I believe it goes down to 1.8 all the way up to, I think, F8, if I'm not mistaken. I don't really know it off the top of my head. But that'll allow you to have a little more control of the pictures that you take on your phone. So to back up and to reiterate what we were talking about, if we want a blurry background, we want to have a wider aperture of somewhere between f1.8, f1.4, f1.2. If we want more things in focus with less of a blurry background, we want another aperture. We want a smaller aperture of like f5.6, f8, f9, f11. Usually in the studio, I'm shooting somewhere around f8 because I don't really need all the background blur. Or if I'm shooting, like I said before, a family portrait where we're talking five faces, 
six people, maybe six faces, nine faces, large group photos. You're going to be taking your aperture down to like F11, F12, F16, something like that. So keep in mind, for aperture, you're going to be controlling light by how wide or how small the hole is. You're going to be controlling depth of field or background blur based off of how wide or small the hole is. The last thing on our list, last but not least, okay, is going to be your ISO, 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 however you want to pronounce it. The debate goes on forever. There is a right way of what it means or what it stands for. I don't remember off the top of my head, but for all demonstration and education purposes, we're just going to say ISO and just leave it at that. So what is ISO when it comes to your camera? It's how sensitive the camera itself is to light. So we have these mechanical functions of how fast our shutter is moving when we're talking about shutter speed, how wide the lens is or how shallow or small the lens is when we're talking about aperture. Now we're literally talking about the sensor inside the camera. So if you take your lens off and if the shutter curtain is up, that shiny reflective part, never touch that by the way, that's going to be your camera sensor. So that gets more sensitive the higher the number for your ISO or less sensitive, the lower the number for your ISO. Most cameras are gonna stop at about 100. Most cameras are gonna stop somewhere between 100. Um, maybe your camera goes down to 50. That's gonna be a very, very low ISO that's gonna give you pretty much the sharpest images possible. Now, some cameras go all the way up to ISO 1000, ISO 10,000, ISO 100,000, ISO a million, four million. Like it's really crazy the range of some of these cameras now that are coming out on the market. And the more that you pay for your camera, the better these cameras are gonna be at these ridiculous ISO numbers. Now, it may sound too good to be true. So what's the downside of having an ISO that's gonna be super, super high, like 4 million or 5,000 or 100,000? What's gonna be the downside of having an ISO that's down to ISO 50? Now, you have to understand what ISO is doing to your camera. It's making your camera more or less sensitive. So the more sensitive your camera is, you're introducing more what we call grain or quote unquote noise to your picture. So the best way to explain it, if you look at a really grainy picture, we've all seen them. Uh, if you look at old portraits, they're going to have like, it literally looks like grains of salt or like an old dusty photo. That's, that's really the best way I can explain it. So on our newer cameras, if you're getting a bunch of grain on your photos straight out of the camera, that's probably because your ISO was cranked up too high. Or let's say you're shooting a wedding and it's a really dimly lit situation and you want to bring in as much light as possible to your camera. You start cranking up that ISO. It's going to be really grainy, right? It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily a good thing. It's just, just know what's going to happen when you start making these adjustments. So for all intents and purposes, if you want to reduce the amount of grain, you're going to kind of have to find the sweet spot. You're going to have to find what the range of your ISO is for your camera. I also forgot to mention earlier, every camera has what's called a max sync speed for your shutter speed. Um, for my camera specifically, I have the Sony a7 III. So the max sync speed on my camera is actually 1 over 250th of a second. Anything beyond that is going into what we call high-speed sync, but we're not going to talk about that on this episode. That's a whole nother category, a whole nother topic. Just know that you need to look up whatever the max sync speed is and the max ISO range of your camera before your images pretty much start to fall apart. 
All right, so that pretty much covers all three of the components of the exposure triangle, shutter speed, aperture, and ISO. So I hope I did a good job explaining to you all um, what it, what each one of these things do on your camera. And if you understand them and truly are able to know what they're doing in a picture and even being able to identify problems that you're seeing that relate to one of these three things, you're going to be able to take better pictures. You're going to become a better problem solver. I think that's what really makes us to grow as photographers and help us to get more efficient. Like how fast can you identify and solve a problem or how fast can you see something in your mind that you want to capture and be able to on the fly make the adjustments needed to be able to capture that as close as you can to what you're seeing in your head. Um, wedding photographers, they're masters at this because at a wedding, you're jumping between shooting just the bride. You're maybe two seconds later having the bride hug, hug her. Wow, I was about to say him. Wedding photographers have to be really good at being able to adjust their settings on the fly. Sports photographers have to be really good at adjusting their settings on the fly. Natural light photographers. We're just going to say that in order to be a successful photographer, you have to be able to adjust your settings on the fly. So the last thing I want to leave you all with are a couple examples to think about. And based off of what you know about the exposure triangle or what we've talked about in this episode, if you've never heard about the exposure triangle before, try to think about these situations and how would you adjust them? What would you adjust? What would you change on your camera? What would you do to fix the problem or what problems would you identify? All right. So go ahead and pause that. Take a break. Think about it. Um, if you need to pause it in between the examples, go ahead and do that. But I really want you all to start thinking about this. And this is something that you can do on your own, too. So looking at your photos or looking at a situation or envisioning something in your mind, like I keep saying, uh, you want to be able to know which settings to adjust. OK, so the first one you're doing a shoot. There's someone dancing. Um, they may be jumping in the air. You're doing a race car photo shoot. All of this combined, right? So you got a dancer, a car, somebody throwing things up in the air all at one time. And you have to capture that in a shot. That might be a lot. I guarantee you, you'll probably never see that happen. But we're talking about a lot of motion. So based off of what we talked about before, what would be the thing, the most important thing that you're going to have to adjust to capture a lot of motion? Next example, you're doing a family photo shoot. You have mom, dad, uncle, brother, sister, grandpa, uh, the dog, right? So we're talking a large group of people. What would you have to adjust to make sure that all of these faces, human and animal faces, are all in focus? So nobody's blurry. The people on the outside aren't blurry. Um, the person in the middle is sharpening in focus just as much as the person on the outer side. So think about what would be the one thing or the main thing that you need to adjust to make sure that picture is in focus. So if you think you know the answer to that, let me know. Um, hit me up. Tell me what you think it is. Or, you know, if you feel differently of what the answer may be, we can talk about it. I appreciate everybody coming back for another episode of Shot and Chop. I hope that um, anybody new to photography learned something today. And I hope that anybody that's been doing photography for a little bit, you know, that was a good refresher or, you know, something just to help you to get your mind thinking about getting exposure or using exposure triangle. So with this being the second episode ever of Shot and Chop, I really would love it if you guys could share this episode with another photographer, share this episode with a model because models need to know this stuff too. believe it or not. That's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. 
But yeah, share this episode for me. Leave me a review, five-star review. Um, all of that stuff really is going to help my channel to grow, and I would greatly appreciate it. And if you guys want to go check out my Instagram, that's going to be linked in the description section below. But the name of my Instagram is going to be Candid underscore Productions. That's going to be C-A-N-N-D-I-D underscore Productions. Appreciate you guys stopping by to chop it up with me. I'm going to catch you on the next episode. Peace.